You're listening to Men With Spirit. Join us as we explore what it means to be a modern man and live a spirited life. Hello and welcome to Men With Spirit on Radio Karen. My name is Steve Angel and this is episode 38 and I'm here with my co-host Peter Anthony. How are you, Peter? I'm excellent, thank you, Steve. Uh, You're all good. Looking forward to today's show. I am, I am. Uh, I should say that... um, No, you you give us a bit of an intro. Sure, sure, yeah. If you're new to this show, our aim is to encourage men to get out of their heads and more into their hearts. To be more authentically connected with themselves and with others. And integral to this is to live your life according to your values. We talk a lot about spiritual growth on this show and we believe if you're not growing, you're not moving forward in life and fulfilling your true potential. From a spiritual perspective, you're not achieving what you came here to learn. What do you what do you say to that, Peter? I think that's very well put, uh, Steve, and I think at times it can be challenging for all of us. Um, just interesting uh, how things can pop up. At the weekend, I went down to my favourite uh, spot down in Gippsland mm-hmm. And I was attacked by a swarm of wasps. I'm still still recovering. <laughs> I just wonder what little lesson is it in, for me in these wasps deciding they were going to <laughs> attack me. <laughs> Maybe the lesson is to look where you're going first. Ah, <laughs> yes. It could be. It yeah. could be, yes. Overall, how are you feeling? How are things going with you outside of being stung by wasps? Oh, yeah, life's ups and downs, but generally uh, fairly positive, I think. Yes, definitely. Excellent. Excellent. Well, today's show well, is. What about you? How, I mean, how are you feeling? I'm feeling. Um, I have a strange question. I was just going to another thought altogether, but um, I'm feeling quite. I'm feeling good actually. I did a um, did some really good meditation yesterday, and that made me feel very rejuvenated after a very busy week last week, where I was. I think it was just a high that I caused me to come down, and I felt very flat at the end of it all. And I thought to myself got to do something to get out of this. And you often you say that often you when you've had that sort of very mm. high thing, you often go into a bit of a I do. flat spot. I do. And this and meditation helped you get out of it. It did. It did. Yeah. Sometimes I find that sometimes when I am very, very tired and fatigued, I can become quite negative in my thoughts. So yeah. I've got to do something that gets me out of that pretty quickly. So you've got a, a formula for dealing with that. I do. I Good. do. We can Good. share it one day. <laughs> the... Um, <laughs> We had the men's group in Frankston last night, and uh, it was a very interesting meeting. We got onto some topics we didn't expect to, but it was um, a fascinating night. It really it? was. Yeah. It really was. Yeah, a small group, but had a great conversation. Yeah, yeah. Let's get on with the show. Absolutely. Now, in this week's show, our guest is going to take us through a, a series of challenges and journeys in life that have led them to growth phases that even they weren't prepared for. On this journey. Our guest and his wife learned to reframe how to parent an autistic child and how this experience has been a catalyst for growth for the entire family and also led him to create a non-profit association called Loving Autism. I want to welcome to the show a friend of mine who I've known since high school. So we've known each other for some time now. His name is Avak Bedikian and um, he is a husband, a father of two, an entrepreneur, a master jeweller. And many, many other things which we'll learn about today. Welcome to the show, Avak. Thank you, Steve. Thank you very much for having me. 
thanks for having me and um, great to be on and I appreciate the opportunity no we're thrilled thank you very much so in your words Avark why don't you tell us who you are (laughs) that's a big question it is yeah no it's a great question but um, oh well I mean you could say I'm just the average Joe Blow living his you know normal life out in the suburbs but um, yeah I'm uh, 52 this year I've uh, been married for 22 years and uh, to a wonderful woman called Anita we have two kids uh, Nicholas who will be 19 this year who's on the autism spectrum and my daughter Nairi who turned 16 recently and just got her learners and we started driving yesterday that's that's pretty fun seeing that uh, happen for, a, for your child uh, yeah grew up in, in um, Mulgrave went to school failed year 12 uh, my dad said you either got a do repeat year 12 or start working so I was delved straight into the jewellery industry been doing that for 32 years um, I had multiple stores for a while but I work from home now and um, yeah it's just word of mouth past customers and social media where the work comes from uh, like being active um, looking after myself obviously I've had my own sort of challenges over the years and worked out what works best for me physically emotionally spiritually and all that and uh, yeah and you, you live locally, just or just up the line here, don't you? Yeah, I live in Edithvale, so right. not too far. So it's nice and close and a great, great part of the world to live. Oh, it's fantastic you know, out here, isn't it? It mm. is. Beautiful. And where, where do you get your business, in the jewellery side of things, where do you get your uh, your referral work from and how does that come to you? Uh, mainly social media now mm-hmm. uh, because I work from home. So I utilise Facebook and Instagram and all that. Um, but I do obviously get a lot of um, past customers and word of mouth through that way as well from over the years of doing it, being in retail stores, um, but it keeps me busy enough. So, but I've had other businesses over the years: restaurants, cafes, publishing mm-hmm. magazines. Really, I did quite a quite. Told you was an entrepreneur. Yeah, <laughs> did, absolutely. Did quite a few things, but the um, you know life sort of brings different curveballs and challenges. So you work out what's important in life, and um, you know, even though I had dreams and visions of opening multiple jewelry stores across the country actually had these big plans bold plans um my father's death in 2001 that shook me up and uh i decided no i don't really want all that stuff actually it's not what i what's important Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh then my son's challenges came along and that sort of reconfigured what's even more important so um i got out of retail and all that stuff and i just work sort of uh, my flexible hours that gives me the freedom to live how I want to live and uh, have more time for family and caring for my family and also for myself mm. Avak you mentioned in the intro um, that you worked out what was right for you physically mentally emotionally um, do you want to share a bit more about how that came about yeah that was a massive uh, time in my life I um, with the breakup of my ex-girlfriend back in, in the days in ninety. We were together for five and a half years, and I thought she was the one. Mm-hmm. I was going to marry her, and I was madly in love. And <laughs> she didn't want she didn't want what I wanted. That's fine, and I'm glad it turned out the way it did. Um, but that emotional challenge, I resorted to drinking, alcohol too much, and overeating, a lot of junk, and I put on a lot of weight, and I got really sick. Mm-hmm. One morning, I just couldn't get up. I mean, it was a build up, of course, of months of doing that and um, just being drunk every day, basically. Um, I got violently ill and uh, was this was in winter and I was sweating, literally. I was just reeking. I was heart palpitations. I was literally thought I was dying, you know. 
um, had a massive, massive headache. But there was still something in me that said, well, uh, well I, don't want, I don't want to die. <laughs> um, so I, at that time also, though, I just sort of started what's called personal development. I was starting to hear things and learn some things that, about responsibility mm. and not sort of – I was pointing the finger at the rest of the world. It was mm. my girlfriend's fault and she did this mm-hmm. and why don't I have this and why am I alone and blah, blah, blah. Um, I was waiting in line at the news agent in the Kingsway in Glen Waverley uh, before I to go to work because I couldn't go to work on time that day. Um, and uh, adding to that, you know, having running retail stores and all this responsibility, there was a lot of pressure as well. But this book jumped out at me called Fit for Life and basically just talked about uh, eliminating foods that don't support the body. Um, of course, I was doing all the opposite. And uh, but I made a decision in that moment because I had to. Um, you know, we we I've learned that we make change either out of inspiration or desperation, and I was desperate, mm-hmm. <laughs> really desperate. So the light bulb came on. I read the back of the the cover and just and the forward as well in the front of the book. I read the book in two hours. I ran across to the fruit shop and got a whole box of veggies and fruits. I started cleansing. So I lost the seventeen kilos in six weeks, and naturally. 17 kilos in six weeks. Yep, all naturally. So the people who remembered saw me prior to that and saw me six weeks later, they thought I was unwell because mm-hmm. they didn't recognize me. I was obviously thinner. And I've been the same weight since for 26, 27 years now, 62 kilos. Um, <clears throat> just And, of course, that led me to understand more about the human body, what makes it work, what works best. And there are some basic fundamentals there that do help support the body and, you know, the body leads the mind. I know people talk about think positive and all that. You can think positive all day long, but if you're not supporting your body well, that makes it difficult <laughs> to stay positive and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, just eating water-rich foods. And so my energy exploded, literally. I mean, it was exploding that six weeks. Obviously, I started walking every day. My whole focus changed. My whole meaning of what it means to be alive <laughs> compared mm. to six months prior to that. Uh, what year was this and how old were you at the time when all this was happening? Uh, 1996, 25, okay, so, 71, so 26, 25. Okay, right. <laughs> and, uh, and I also was able to let go of the pain of the breakup because uh, I also the emotional stuff was around being alone and will I ever find someone again? Will I find love and what does love mean and all that sort of stuff you go through? Mm. Um so that was a that was a big release as well, and I actually had sent uh, her a letter and a message that you know thanks for all that, even though it was painful, um, it was the best thing we ever did to break up because we weren't the right for each other. <laughs> um, so yeah, those were those were amazing gifts at the time, you know. Did the idea of responsibility come to you from the book, or was it something? Was it a light bulb moment? Now at that time, uh, because I opened my store in. April 22nd, 1996. So it was actually in that period, um, you know, that year. And I was finding the challenges of, and then we also break up. And I knew that wasn't going to go far, but just trying to make it work was painful. Um, a guy called Brad Sugars in Queensland, he's, he's obviously a massive entrepreneur himself. He's got a business called Action Coach. So he teaches marketing and business and all that. But what he was really teaching was about 
personal development as well. So he talked about responsibility, mm-hmm. um, whether it's in business or in life, because I was playing the victim, you know, mm. with my ex-girlfriend and all that sort of stuff. So I was blaming others and pointing the finger at others and not taking accountability. So when I learned that, hang on, I'm doing this to myself, my girlfriend hasn't done anything. She's made a choice as I'm choosing to feel certain ways and using alcohol and all that sort of stuff to deal with my own issue. So um, that, that's a, I still live by the whole responsibility thing. It's massive. Yeah, which, you know, both Peter and I are very um, big believers in that value of what we refer to as accountability, which is responsibility, and that is that you're accountable for your own actions. Um, and it's a massive part in moving forward in life and not being a victim is to understand, well, what's your part in everything that you do? Like, how did you react? How have you uh, reacted to other people's choices and, and decisions in life? And do you see it as something, well, that I choose to accept? Or if I don't accept it, then you will fall into a victim. So it's a very big part of learning and growing and definitely healing in life. Massive. It's massive, yeah. So it's... um. Uh, the little uh, metaphor that he, he used was you basically there's a line in the middle and above the line is responsibility, accountability and ownership. You can play life above the line or you can play below the line, which is blame, make excuses or be in denial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we all have – and we, sometimes we sit on the fence in the middle. We, yep. we go between the two and that's just human nature. But when you play above the line, life is much easier. Mm-hmm. What other um, core values do you have? My – the thing I value most is my health mm-hmm. and well-being. So emotional, physical, and spiritual—that's what I, my top value. Um, obviously, you know, integrity, doing the right thing, mm-hmm. being good to others, um, friendship, and uh, love and acceptance. Okay. And what does spirituality mean to you? Um, I've also, in my journey, uh, just learned things about energy. And I think spirituality is an energy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I love nature. So there's a lot of energy out and there. Connect, and connecting in nature. Connecting yeah. in nature. Mm-hmm. Gra- I get grounded when I go out into the mountains, to the beach, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, yeah, spirituality is, a, is an energy of just harmony and uh, being having inner peace. Do you meditate or anything like that? Is that something that resonates with you? Well, I... I do what's called um, um, well it's called empowerment I guess it's a simple word but when I wake up for about two or three minutes I'll just be just be grateful mm-hmm. for what I have mm-hmm. and that helps the, my rest of the day so um, I just think all the things that I'm grateful for the things that have happened um, just in silence yeah I'll do some deep breathing gets me relaxed and um, sets the day so how long did then um, has this personal development journey of yours continued on since that day? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, I did uh, the main weekend that really changed my life was if you may have heard of him, Tony Robbins, mm-hmm. uh, UPW. It un- unleashed the power within. Uh, it happened in um, it was a four day weekend in 1997 at the Horton Pavilion in Sydney. <laughs> that was just, I mean, I was ready for that. I was ready to really make massive change. I had read his book prior to that. So through Brad Sugars, he obviously, um, he's obviously learned from them as well and he offered, you know, presented their books and all their teaching. So 
he Tony Robbins resonates with me still today, and of did back then, because what he teaches and he he uses physiology, which is the using the body to make changes. You know, um, I've also learned through Deepak Chopra, whereas he's very the opposite. He's very passive. <laughs> I mean, I went to one of his seminars, I fell asleep, and that's okay. <laughs> I still took some learnings from it, of course, what he teaches, but. Tony Robbins really is the opposite. He just, um, you know, it's like a rock and roll concert the weekend, but it's 12, 15-hour days nonstop, um, really going deep into understanding what makes you tick, what makes human behavior tick and our beliefs, our values. And so the changes, the, I literally, yeah, it was from that weekend. Uh, I haven't been the same since. It's just, and I'm really, but, I, but after that weekend, I still kept at it. I I've read books, I've listened to tapes, I still work, I still have moments now, of course, no one's perfect, but I have moments of frustration when things challenge me, but I've got the skills where within moments, seconds, a minute or two, I'll, I'll be over it, because I, I ask questions, and what does this mean, mm-hmm. what can I do right now to make it better, mm-hmm. um, so questions are powerful as well, so that's that's probably been the biggest lessons of personal development is asking the right questions because we always ask shit questions so ask shitty questions you get shitty answers <laughs> good all right awesome now you you may or may not be aware that we do a lot of we play a lot of music on this show Avark, and we have asked you to uh, nominate a couple of songs so let's have a bit of a break now before we come back and talk further about your story um the first song that you've chosen is actually simply the best by Tina Turner. Tell me why. Well, that first that song had a massive impact on me at, in 1997 at the UPW in, in Sydney. And even though I was aware of that song prior, but um, now some people might see that song as, oh, you know, do you think you're too good or something? It's actually about believing in yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we we as human beings we. We do it. We we put ourselves down. We bash ourselves up. We think lower, less of ourselves compared to others. Um, that's just sort of what happens in society, and we know. So yeah, the meaning the song has. It's important to me. I I love it immensely. Like, do get goosebumps and triggers. Uh, it it instantly changes how I feel, mm-hmm. physically. So the physiology thing, and um, you know, I'll move to it and dance to it. And it's a, it's a powerful song, of course. The words, the lyrics are extremely powerful. And she has obviously her story and what she went through and obviously why she wrote that song and it's a it's an awesome song. Okay, well let's play it and hopefully it will bring um, uh, goosebumps, whatever, to those that are listening with us. Okay. Here we go. Tina Turner. Hi, my name's Paul Kennedy, and I'm a sport reporter for the ABC, and when I'm not listening to the ABC, I listen to Radio Caram. Tune in and enjoy. Hi, I'm Freddie from Freddie's Kitchen. Let's get behind Radio Caram. Go Caram. Welcome, welcome back. Uh, I've, uh, just prior to coming here, Steve, I was down at Freddy's Kitchen, had a very nice coffee and something to eat. So, uh, 
a personal recommendation to give Freddie's in Karam a try. Anyhow, welcome back. You're listening to Men With Spirit on Radio Karam with me, Peter Anthony, and my co-host, Steve Angel. And today, today our special guest is Evark Bediki Khan. Hopefully I got that correct, <laughs> Evark. Um, and we're talking about personal development, or we have been. We're now talking, going to be talking about autism and your journey in the, with the family in that respect. Can we talk about your son, Nicholas, and uh, autism? Um, when he was first born, was it evident that uh, there were any issues there? Or how did you become aware that autism was an issue with uh, Nicholas? No, not, not obviously when he was born. Um, it was Nicholas was will be nineteen this year. He was born in two thousand and four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no, the first year was no. Being first time parents didn't really know what was going on anyway. Just trying to deal with the first year. <laughs> but for all intents and purposes, a, a perfectly normal, happy little child. Yeah, absolutely yeah. right. Okay. Although, yeah, sort of towards the end of the first year into the second year, yeah, he wouldn't start responding to his name. Mm-hmm. He'd be fixated on watching the TV show. Obviously, not showing social connection. Um, you start to lack eye contact. Mm-hmm. Um, and then into the third year, more behaviours were showing up. Uh, what's called, uh, people refer to stims, but we call them isms, so repetitious behaviour. Mm-hmm. So spinning around, bouncing up and down. Um, and people would start coming over more, family, social gatherings. He couldn't handle all that sort of um, crowds. So it started headbanging on the floor, um, just yeah, meltdowns, tantrums and all that sort of thing. So um, I guess in the second year, into second, yeah, that time from when we realised like, we better sort of do something. Then you'd take your child to the uh, regular checkups for the nurses and stuff. They'd, they'd say, okay, well, you know, he's not doing this, he's not doing that. You should go to the next person and so on. So um, then we went to a paediatrician. And, uh, yeah, they said, oh, well, yeah, it's, he's got autism because we'd never heard other than watching The Rain Man, not <laughs> knowing what that was all about. Mm-hmm. And so you have a moment of um, it's like the world's, you know, you, you're trying to make sense of what, what, what's going on here and what does it mean. Um, now, the diagnosis is we got, okay, he's got autism, but it's the prognosis that is the challenge for parents that they receive from their doctor. And... And the prognosis is most often negative. Your child won't do this, he won't do that, this is how your life's going to be, blah, blah, blah. If you buy into the other person's belief, well, then you will find life, you'll be extremely challenged, which most parents do. Mm-hmm. And they, f- they continue on that path. We, we, we certainly bought into what they were telling us, but not 100%. At what age was he at that stage? When, when did that uh, yeah, three, three, two and a half, three. Now, you mentioned off-air before there was, uh, about that time, there was something that happened that you noticed a significant difference in how he behaved, sort of almost overnight. Would you like to explain what happened? Yeah, that was at the just on the three-year-old uh, uh, MMR vaccination. Um, yeah, he got quite ill for 48 hours, a lot of just temperature, a lot of pain. Of course, we didn't know what the hell was going on, but... Um, and then, yeah, his behaviours and uh, his his stims, isming, got more intense. And uh, yeah, his eye contact was more less 
So everything increased. Mm-hmm. So there's an amplification. Of amplification the, for yeah. sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, um, but at the time, yeah, you don't know any better. And uh, what we know now, of course, is, is quite different. But um, yeah, we went on a journey of uh, therapies, different things, different approaches, uh, ABA, which is called Applied Behavioral Analysis. We had people coming over to our house to work with him to help build his social skills and all that sort of stuff. Um, verbal behavior, trying to help with his speech. Uh, he's still nonverbal today. Um, mm-hmm. But it was in, I've forgotten the year now, but it was just one night I was up at two or three in the morning, emotional, stressed, crying, trying to work out what to do here. And I was Googling and I came across a, a program called the Sunrise Program which is basically the fundamentals and the foundation of his love his love and acceptance. And, and how do you spell sunrise? S-O-N-R-I-S-E. Okay. With, mm-hmm. a, with a hyphen in the middle. Yep. And it's basically, uh, it's based at the Autism Treatment Center of America, which is founded by parents uh, Barry and Samaria Kaufman for their own son mm-hmm. back in the 70s. They didn't listen to any doctors. They took their own path. They uh, basically homeschooled him, kept him at home and they uh, in the in the bathroom basically they spent hours with him just uh, joining him in his in his repetitious behaviors um, just loving and accepting him for who he is and that now son Ron who now runs that center so he's he's totally out of his autism Gee, which a lot of, which a lot of people think it's a lot of BS but it's not it's a true story and that center's still going um, we immediately dived into that because all the other things that we tried, the other approaches, wasn't working for Nicholas. We weren't enjoying it. It was very rote and very strict and very um, there's no there was no flexibility, you know. Um, whereas the Sunrise program is based on um, uh, you homeschool your child and it's a parent-driven program. So we made out we we jumped straight into it. We um, then I, when I realised they were based in America. We thought, okay, there's got to be someone in Australia. So we found a guy called Sean Fitzgerald who was doing workshops. And that couple of weekends soon after, there was a family in Hawthorne that was running the program for their own son and she was holding the seminar at her house. I uh, booked it in and uh, we're obviously good friends with Nicola, um, who that was the person. And that that particular two-day workshop was a, a game-changer for me. It was really... Um, even though I'd done a lot of personal development work <laughs> leading up to that point, my son brought brought upon a lot of challenges that I th- that has took me to the next level of growth of understanding and being more loving, being more accepting. Um, and uh, we we after that weekend, we we just we literally took him out of school. And the way that happened was he was going to a special school in um, in Mulgrave, and I went to pick him up one day from lunch. And we had just started to try and help help him spoon feed himself. And uh, when I got to the school to pick him up, it was about lunchtime. The teacher was sort of being a bit forceful to holding his mouth, holding the spoon, and force feeding him. And I thought, hang on, what the hell's going on here? That's not that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to be more loving here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially when I came across the Sunrise Program, they're talking about love and acceptance. I literally took him out of school that day. I rang my wife and said, we're starting this program today. So brought him home. We made our bedroom the playroom uh, because the ensuite, ensuite was there as well. We So we had to toilet train him as well. So we ran, we 
we did the Sunrise program for nearly five years. We recruited volunteers. Um, we basically, it's basically two-hour sessions in the playroom. You spend with a child, you're joining him in his isms to build a bridge, basically, to, to show him that we accept you fully. We're just giving you time to connect and build that bridge for you to come to our side as well when you're ready, you mm-hmm. know. And so it was a lot of fun, a lot of effort though on our part because you've got to recruit volunteers. You, it's like employing people. You've got to mm. make sure they're up to it and all that. And there's a process. But that was that was an amazing five years. And that, that's still been, to this day, the greatest thing that happened for, for all of us and for him to the growth that he's had. So he, if you look at Nicholas today, you, you wouldn't think that he has autism other than him being nonverbal. If you try and speak to him, he won't respond. Mm-hmm. He has moments of isms, but very minimal. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't do all that stuff like he used to. So we've had a massive journey over the last, you know, 14, 15 years, whatever it's been. As a family, yeah. How did your daughter cope with all this? Was she an active participant in in helping to bring about this transformation? Yeah, well, obviously she was younger at the time and she's grown with that mm-hmm. and seen the meltdowns, the challenges, the triumphs. Uh, she's just seen us been attacked by Nicholas and bitten and the headbutts on the walls and all that sort of stuff and uh, she's had to make meaning of what what's going on here so we've been mindful of that too to help her understand and so that's but that's been her greatest gift because she's a very compassionate and understanding person and she's very helpful still today with the family and whether it's cooking food helping cooking his foods um, now that she's excited to get a learner, she can't wait to because I do a lot. Of, I drive Nicholas around a lot in the evenings because he enjoys uh, music and movement, and that's just one of the things that we do. To you know, he's he's 19 now, so he doesn't have irregular friends that he would. He doesn't obviously doesn't drive and so on. So I'm his driver, and um, she's looking forward to helping driving around. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> that can be a part-time job. We'll pay her. <laughs> so when you say it's taken you to a new level. Uh, you were saying in terms of your growth and and uh, would you like to explain that a bit more? Yeah, so with, with the with the growth I had, obviously, learning about myself and what makes me tick, but when another human being comes along that brings their dynamic of a way of being, they're coming on to you in a certain way. As, you, as your child, so you've, as a parent, you've got to deal with it in one way or another. Sure, we had our moments of uh, anger and frustration and resentment, I'll be honest, you know, those um, him not speaking, oh, I've got to cover this point because it's really important, so him not speaking back in the day used to piss me off because mm-hmm. I used to, of course, and that was all around fear, me fearing the future, who's going to look after this kid when I'm gone, he's not going to have any friends and do I have to look after this kid all the time and how, how's this, how's this going to work? Um, and so that that caused a lot of stress and anxiety and frustration and anger. Um, and it was one of the lessons that we went to in America, the Autism Treatment Center of America. Samaria, on the Wednesday lesson, she talked about letting go. Mm-hmm. And so I had to let go of the need for him to speak because that was causing me unhappiness. Mm-hmm. So I was losing sleep and I was being unwell. And... Um, but also once I did that though, Nicholas picked up on that energy. <laughs> yeah. Because I was more loving and accepting of him because I wasn't accepting the way he was. 
that was that was the biggest challenge. So that's pretty much the biggest challenge for all parents is accepting their child for the way they are. So when you say, you pick, how did he uh, pick up on it and how did he react? To well, he started giving me eye contact. Yeah. He started coming towards me rather than moving away because I was my energy was I was trying to force him to speak and I was, had this frustration and urgency. If he didn't speak now, if I can't get him to speak, what's going to happen in five years' time and all that? That's where all the frustration was coming from. So the whole dynamics of the relations changed. And, and relationship the, the, changed. The energy between you and and the family changed once you'd made that. Of course, of course. And because I made a change there, that shifted with my wife and she felt that ease and my daughter felt it and everyone, yeah, of course, it's a massive shift. You mentioned your daughter and uh, your wife, Anita. Do you want to share with us? I mean, I can imagine a... Uh, a child with such high needs as Nicholas would put an, an immense amount of pressure on a relationship. How did the two of you work through this? Well, thankfully, prior to Nicholas being born, we had done UPW together as well, so that helped. Okay, yeah. Because <laughs> I did it by myself the first time, and, of course, I passed on that enthusiasm onto her. That, you know, <laughs> there's a, a certain, there's certain things that we choose and believe in life that makes a difference how we feel. So, yeah, she, she embraced all that and uh, was open to all that, so we did it together. So doing that, and of course she, you know, through that process, she has her own, had her own, some minor stuff that went on as well. So she's had her growth, and so that was that was a massive help. And then, um, but the, the key big one is just we, we do value the same things, we want the same things. Mm-hmm. That We've had we've certainly had our moments when we thought, okay, <laughs> is this really worth it? I mean, what's going on here? Um, if you want to out, there's a, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but no, we we've had those moments, but we've uh, stuck through it and um, we've come stronger for it, and uh, we've embraced the whole. Uh, we obviously did the program together, yeah, homeschooling our child, Nicholas. Um, yeah, so we went through the challenges and the tough times and the and also the the great times as well. So we've seen seen it all together, and that's helped just build that bond and uh, and just want the same thing. We want we want it. We want the family unit. We want all that, and we want to be that example for our kids. Mm-hmm. So it's it's wanting the same thing. One of the things that is really important to you is values, which you've mentioned a lot, and um, we're also very big on values. Explain to me the importance of sharing your experience of Nicholas online, which is something that you do and you value this very, very much is, uh, but if you don't know, um, Avak is very open about what happens and he'll often do videos. Um, he'll show when, you know, uh, in the past where Nicholas has maybe scratched him or bitten him or, or sometimes he'll just show Nicholas in one of his isms. And you talk about this quite openly online. Can you share with me why you're doing this? Well, I, I do it because uh, I do it freely and easily because I, I understand the importance of sharing and creating awareness and also helping other parents be more free. It's it's that's probably the main reason is I, I I'm by sharing free from I I free from the beliefs and what meaning we give to our kids. Mm-hmm. So by sharing, I'm releasing, and that helps me accept, love and accept even more. Mm-hmm. That makes and sense. Presumably, people that are watching it have a, you know would have a sense of I'm not alone. There are other people having exactly the same experiences that I'm having to deal with. Exactly. So we've we've that's helped build 
a community of like uh, similar parents so you, mm-hmm. you naturally gravitate towards each other other parents obviously uh, then sort of feel more e- at ease to share and open up that help again sharing and getting it out of your nervous system releases tensions or frustrations and it does help so um, and also educating other people as well that this stuff happens and if you see, see you see someone out there having a meltdown in the public and the parents it's not it's not like the parents a bad parent because that's what happens to a lot of families parents struggle to go out in public because they, they can't handle their child behaving certain ways which they can't handle so they they're stuck at home <laughs> that's what happens so is it so they're more concerned about how others will perceive them in the state of the meltdown rather than the needs of this child yeah of course I mean, we're yes. human beings we all we have fears of being judged mm. and we judge ourselves so um some parents may not want to admit that, but that is what happens. You know, so uh, we scared of going out there and in public and because, uh, I mean, I've been out many times and Nicholas had meltdowns mm-hmm. on the trains, in, in the city, wherever it may be, um, pretty full on. And uh, you've got to deal with that moment and calming your child and not worrying about what people think. <laughs> you talk a lot about um, the gifts of love that autism has taught you um what has what has it taught you and what has nicholas taught you well nicholas has taught me a number of gifts but i think um a couple of big ones is patience and just being present they're, they're the two big ones being present because he's always in the present mm-hmm. most kids with special needs a majority if not all, they they are very they're, they're non-judgmental. <laughs> they they're totally raw, totally pure. They're just being themselves, and that's the gift I've taken. Is a big one is um, just being present, enjoying the moment, not judging yourself, not judging others, and of course that leads to loving more, mm-hmm. loving other people for who they are. Um, certainly not perfect. I still have my moments, but it's it's been a massive gift. And I'm, and w- I'm better for it. Would you have um, come to those conclusions uh, had it not been for Nicholas having autism? Well, through my initial years of growth that I had prior to Nicholas, um, I certainly learned all those things. Mm. But no, Nicholas certainly took it to that next level of understanding and, and a, the way of being. And applying it, applying so you had this every day. This reminder that you <laughs> yeah. need to apply these, these exactly, these exactly. Yeah. Even today, look, uh, last week he had moments. He's, he's he's way better, of course, but he has moments when he still has. He might head, he gets frustrated with something, or something doesn't work the way he wants, and he'll headbutt the wall. And so you have got to be present in that moment to. So he, he feels that energy. Mm-hmm. If I get agitated and, and I'm getting frustrated and I'm thinking, okay, just stop this or whatever, he's going to push it even further. <laughs> those lessons you've learnt and those, if you like, parenting principles you've applied, uh, would you say they're generally applicable or they're only applicable for special needs children? No. They, so they yeah, generally applicable as well if you apply it. So how that's worked with our daughter, so when Nicholas... Obviously, she he was three, and then Nairi came along. Mm-hmm. So we'd smack Nicholas when he was misbehaving, mm-hmm. when he was doing his thing. We just didn't know any better. We were smacked. Um, 
but through that journey, that period there, having to learn how to communicate better with Nicholas has helped us communicate better with our daughter so we never had to smack her as, as an example. Mm-hmm. Even though when those times came up, when I may have done that, if I didn't know any better. Um, so that's helped be a better parent, if you want to call it that, to deal with things a lot more user-friendly mm-hmm. and um, be more flexible and calm and present. So we've helped her with that. It's helped us as a, as parents and how we've dealt with her, but that's also helped her because she's seen that she has never been smacked, so she doesn't, mm. you know, it's it helps everyone. It's uh, when you were talking before, Mark. I um, I was reflecting on a book that um, Ian and Pearl Rogers have written called Parenting Spiritually, and a lot of the things you're talking about um, leap off the page uh, with the book they've written on how to parent spiritually. So, in some respects, what you've been doing is uh, applying a lot of those principles in practice based on what works with uh, with both your kids. So, good on you. Mm. Um, Thank you. Mm. When you, you said something just very earlier on that I wanted to come back to quickly. Um, and you said, you know, when you heard the diagnosis and then the prognosis, and the prognosis is often where people get stuck. Whilst you accepted part of it, you said you didn't expect, accept all of it. What do you believe is driving the part of you that was saying, mm, no, this is not, we're not going to follow this, this is not right? Yeah, my, my personal development journey and the experiences I had with life and how, for me, the truth is always the end result. Mm-hmm. That's always the truth. So um, when she said, he won't do this and he won't do that, um, I thought, no, there's, there's lots of examples of people who done things when they were told they weren't, whether I had read it in a book or seen it on somewhere or heard it from somewhere. Um, so there's lots of examples of people doing things that they were told they couldn't do. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and this was just some stranger that we had to get a diagnosis off mm. so we can get some piece of paper to start getting support or whatever. Um, and just because the person had a diploma on the wall doesn't mean she had all the answers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was sort of where it comes from. Now, we mentioned your uh, association, the non-profit association, Loving Autism. Do you want to share a bit more about that? How did that come about? Sure. Well, I mean, I've always been involved in community work since I was 18. Um, uh, Rotary, Kiwanis International, even my local, uh, the Armenian community that I'm part of and the soccer club and the church groups and all that. I've always been active in being involved in community work and volunteering my time because I just enjoy it immensely. I love meeting people and helping people. The Loving Autism came because as, as a journey through with our own son as we started meeting other families, I saw a lot of challenges with parents obviously parents breaking up single parents struggling not just emotionally but financially as well mm. so i was always had done a lot of events and um fundraising and being involved in all that stuff prior so i had that sort of skill and and um competence to start loving autism and this was obviously prior to ndis where there is a lot more support now and do you, is that support readily available? And the fact that you had to get a lot of volunteers involved in what you're doing with Nicholas, is the support working? Is, is NDIS helping? It is. It is. I think there's still families who aren't accessing it uh, the best way. Again, that's probably brought on by their own stuff that's going on. They're just not focused. But there is support out there. And uh, it can be challenging at times finding the right people 
so it's going to fit in with your family? The, so so the rest Martin, you're, you're a, a not-for-profit. Uh, how does it fit in and, and how does it support people? Well, all, all, well, I'm not as active now as what I used to be, but I did fundraising events and raised money and mm-hmm. gave money directly to families. Mm-hmm. So we did uh, trivia nights, uh, all kinds of different events. I used my birthday's excuse to have a party to raise money. Um, so I'd give, I'd, in a period of four years, we think it was about 60000 we raised and we gave money directly to families. So whether it's a thousand dollars, two thousand, whatever, they had to fill out a form, mm-hmm. just so we could see it was legit and what they needed. And I'd go out and meet the families and give them money directly and all that. So whether it was buying an iPad or a playground equipment for their backyard where they they couldn't leave the house because the child mm-hmm. was just too mm-hmm. aggressive, giving parents a weekend away, a whole host of ways that we supported families directly, and through that loving autism association that I'd set up. That's how we help families. And it seems that I saw some statistics the other day. I forget how long ago it was, but the general statistic was one in 20,000 would be on the autism spectrum. And today it's apparently one in 20. Does that sort of ring true, that sort of increase in the frequency of autism? Is it, How common is it these days? It's certainly a lot more common. And, uh, of course, the autism spectrum has a it's a spectrum. So mm. it's a whole range of from mild to medium to severe. Um, there's certainly a lot more out there for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it shows up in different ways, and that can be high-functioning autism, low-functioning, but it's certainly definitely a massive increase. Mm. Which is a concern, isn't it, really? You ask the obvious question, well, why and what are we doing about it? Anyhow. Avak, before we wrap up... Um, what would you what would you like parents to know overall in terms of what you've learnt through this um, journey with Nicholas and obviously your wife and your daughter? What would you like parents, maybe with or without autistic children, to understand about the importance of parenting and, and taking more of a different approach? biggest lesson is take you must take care of yourself first mm-hmm. as a parent you must take you you know do whatever you have to do to take care of yourself first so you have the energy the mental physical spiritual energy to be there for your kids when those challenging time times come up as well as the great times um but yeah must take care of yourself first because we do put ourselves down the bottom of the list when we're mm-hmm. trying to run around doing everything else and that we've all done that uh, but that's the, been the main lesson, what I've learned and what I would definitely encourage parents to really uh, shift their focus on looking after themselves, whatever it is. Take out half an hour a day to go for your walk, book a weekend away, go out to for lunch together, on your own, whatever. <laughs> Do whatever. <laughs> and, and support groups and having like-minded sort of parents around, is that helpful? That helps, absolutely. Absolutely. A good friend, um, Ari, he started a group called Authentics Anonymous. It does not happen anywhere for about four or five years. There were special needs parents coming together. And I'm sure there's groups out there like your groups as well and hey, helping men and all that. And um, it could be parents, of course. Just, yeah, take care of yourself. 
Yeah, and that you're not alone and there are other people there that can support you and help. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd Absolutely. also like to add to that in taking care of yourself, which would have come through when you did UPW and all the personal development, is to look at who you are as a person, understand maybe the things that are still holding on from maybe childhood that you haven't resolved, um, maybe look at any sort of the situations in your life that you haven't dealt with. All of those kind of emotional um, elements also come into play in the way that you actually deal with other people, and especially children. So I think in terms of looking at yourself, I'd even stretch out a little bit further than just not just time and physicality, but emotionally as well. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we have, um, uh, I think our emotions and how we deal with things in life stem from what I've learned is unresolved trauma. Mm. And so if we can resolve a lot of those issues that we've had in the past, how we've been treated, you know, it's a classic example of a, a child was told once by their parent that you're not good enough, mm. but then that child went and told themselves 100,000 times, yeah. you know. Um, but that was enough impact to affect that person's focus and, and what they believe about themselves. But that's still taking responsibility that your parents said one thing, but doesn't mean that's true. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If, if people want to learn more about... Um, loving autism or resources they could access are there um, websites or uh, Facebook pages you'd suggest they could go to and we'll put these on our Facebook page as well for this episode yeah well I have a Facebook page called loving autism it's as I said it's not as active as what it used to be Uh, Mm -hmm. obviously my own life and things that I'm involved with and um, but there's uh, there's there's a several out there um I can change you the links. One okay. Time. Well, we'll, yeah. we'll include those in the uh, in the post. Yeah. yeah. Um, and is that Sunrise program active in Australia? Uh, no, there's families who run the program. They've gone. So the only centre is in America, um, but not other parts of the world. But right. there's families who've gone and take on board the whole process, and they they run programs at home Great. across the world. Steve, do you want to any concluding remarks from your point of view? No, look, I think I think Avak shared some great wisdom and insight, and are very appreciative of you know being an open book, which is kind of the reason why I wanted him on the show. Is <laughs> I was telling you, Peter, just like how open yeah. he has been, and he's he's as he open is today, he's like that on online, and it's very important. So yeah, no, thank you for for joining us and sharing your story. Now, Avak, before we uh, before we uh, wrap up, we'll ask you a little bit more about uh, uh, your final bit of music. But I, can I just share a couple of things first? Um, information and links about our shows are available from the Radio Karam website, which is radiocaram.org, or via our. Uh, Facebook page, which is at Men With Spirit, uh, so you can get details on our shows, but also our regular Men With Spirit uh, gatherings that are held each week. And you can also email us at connect at menwithspirit.com.au. Now, Avak, your final piece of music is Cherry Bomb by John Mullenkamp. Why have you chosen this song? Well, when you asked me to provide two songs, you made it a little bit difficult because I do have a lot of other songs. <laughs> but the, these two songs that I picked, um, simply the best, and then Cherry Bomb. I've, I'm a big fan of John Mellencamp. Uh, obviously, in the '80s that I was growing up and all that, and uh, I loved his music. I love the lyrics of all these songs, and this particular song, um, I guess life was more simpler, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it's just you know friends catching up at this particular club called the Cherry Bomb. Hanging out, making friends, making memories. Um, 
I think it's just yeah, life is about making memories and just catching up with friends and and just enjoying yourself. <laughs> Good. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Very, very enjoyable and informative uh, session. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it immensely. Thank you. And thanks for listening, everyone. And until next time, as Steve and I would say, be Be true true to to yourself. yourself. Mm